Hold on, hold on. Uh, shut up, the show's about to start. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Celluloid Breakdown. Yeah, we finally got a new title. I'm Joey Bonnier. Welcome. And uh, to the right of me is Mr. Sean Faw. Across the table is Derek Laporte. Thank you. And permanent guest, Tim Snow. Oh, my goodness. Permanent guest. Wow, I put there. I don't yeah. think, oh, yeah. permanent guest? Is that a title? He got his guest green card. Well, I just oh. bullshitted yes. it. Per- yeah. Permanent resident of the show? Yeah. I'm a permanent guest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You got yeah. his green card. That's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll give you citizenship I'm like one eventually. of Sean's dreamers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you are at gunpoint. Little Lebowski urban achiever. Okay. Um, for this week, we watched Paths of Glory, famous movie directed by Stanley Kubrick. Yay. Pretty big. Ooh. Guy, yeah. Yeah, I've heard of Kubrick. Him. Famous. What? What dude. does he do? He's done other stuff. He does movies. He's, the, oh, he's yeah. in the picture business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the moving uh, pictures. Um, let's. Yeah. Uh, was. Was. yeah, he's not yeah. doing much was. these days. Sad face. Okay, without further ado, guys, let's dive right in. First impressions. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sean Fa. Not at all what I expected. Okay. Um, so I, I thought I was gonna get more of um, uh, Full Metal Jacket. And I felt like I got more of uh, Doctor Strangelove. So, oh, okay. Uh, I thought you were going to say like uh, the firm. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was, I was thrown off you too. You can handle the truth. I was yeah. thrown off too by they were both like Kubrick films. Mm. I was thinking you were going to go like, like somewhere else Comple- with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. completely. Yeah. Well, I knew movie. I was getting into a Kubrick thing here, yeah. but uh, yeah, I mean, obviously it didn't have the comedy of uh, Strange Love, but it definitely had that more like stagey feel, whereas like Full Metal Jacket is like, you know, real actors fucking acting, they're fucking acting off. But, uh, you know, this was like uh, that old school theatrical acting that we've been talking about on most of our episodes so far. And to me, that's, you know, just... Uh, I, I expected more of a gritty war picture, and we mm. got war, but it wasn't as gritty as I expected, and it wasn't ne- nearly as much of the movie as I expected. I didn't expect a lot of, like, the, the button-down stuff, and yeah. Hmm. It seemed like almost three different movies that, like, kind of followed each other. Did you enjoy it? Um, I was certainly engaged. Um, okay. You know, I, the, like, the beginning stuff, the war stuff was, like, really well shot and uh, really interesting. Um, side note, I just uh, recently saw the, um, uh, what is it, They Shall Not Grow Old, which is the oh, Peter yeah. Jackson um, uh, redoing of the World War I um, footage. He took all the old black and white stuff and turned it into color and 3D and shit. And, um, I, I mean, there, it was kind of cool just, like, having just seeing like you know what all those soldiers were going through and then kind of like Mm -hmm. seeing this sort of more fictionalized version of it quick quick question Mm -hmm. do you notice how different the trenches were in the in the actual pictures versus in the movie 
Oh, oh, these trenches? Like these trenches were yeah. like pristine. Yeah, 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 like, yeah, yeah. like they yeah. like brushed them. <laughs> like yeah. the trenches in real life were like awful holes in the ground with like mud up to their like necks. It was disgusting. Like, Yeah, I mean, one of the big things that kept standing out to me was all of the trenches were lined with wood here. And it was because we had all these nice dolly shots that were going through. All Can't of fuck the- up those dollies. No. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and it was uh, it was not even the smoothest dolly in the world, but it was kind of cool because you got got the bumping of everything. But- yeah, I mean, like I said, just not not what I expected at all, but um, a decent a decent movie. Uh, Derek, what you think? Uh, yeah, so this is I don't know several times watching this thing for me. Um, it's good. I um, it's funny because m- I guess my memory of it has things kind of laid out a little differently than they actually are. I mean, it time wise, I felt like the war thing after this rewatching of it like the whole war scenes and stuff were like longer than yeah. i had remembered <clears throat> and that the trial thing in my memory was like longer than it actually is it's basically one scene yeah mm. um can i ask how long ago like you it, when you think about seeing this how old yeah, do you think you are <laughs> well no still it was like um maybe it was like t- 10 years ago okay uh or maybe yeah probably 10 years ago was the last time I just feel um, like if you were like a child when you first saw this movie, you would get that impression of like, oh my God, this lawsuit yeah. is just going forever. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think too that that it changes it when you know kind of what happens because mm. you're not going to forget what happens in the movie once you know. It's a, um, we- it's a weird thing how speed of a movie always changes or like, yeah, once you like have, it's like even if you're driving somewhere, like right. the drive out somewhere seems like it takes forever and then the drive home takes the same amount of time, but you're like, damn, I'm home already. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And, and yeah, so I, I felt like, um, I felt like I didn't like it as much as I liked it that time I watched it 10 years ago. (laughs) I still think it's a good film and there's still like a lot of like parts in it that are good, um, individually. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think it's as cohesive as I remembered it being. I gotta say, okay, I'm going to move to Tim in a second because... But who gives a shit about my opinion? Because honestly, <laughs> my opinion is 100% what Derek just said. It is actually creepy because I was going to like go down point by point and agree with Derek every single thing he just said. So I'm just going to say ditto and say, <laughs> uh, Tim. Fucking Rush Limbaugh. What did you think of this movie, Tim Snow? <laughs> Should fidgeting? I give you a drum roll? So... There's some shifting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a little so, uneasiness. No, I, uh, uh, I agree with Sean that it was uh, it was. It was really something that uh, it 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 wasn't what I thought it was going to be. I don't know exactly what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. I consider myself to be a bit of a Kubrick philistine hmm. um, in that I've only seen uh, I well let's see I've seen The Shining, I've seen uh, Full Metal Jacket, I've seen Eyes Wide Shut, and I've seen Barry Lyndon and uh, uh, Clockwork Orange, of course. Um, I would not consider you a philistine at all. Like <laughs> that's okay. Well, I haven't seen the deep cuts. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's, that's a good amount, but yeah. All right, yeah. Uh, I went to film school. Coach. Exactly. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, but uh, so uh, going in, I was I was trying to s- find some similarities because it's so it, it, you know so much earlier in his career than yeah. any of the other work that I'd seen, um, and uh, you know it. A lot of it felt like it feels like a film that Kubrick hasn't quite found his voice yet, but he's well on his way. Uh, the thing that I really appreciate about Kubrick's work is his subtle wit. 
hmm. um, and the way that he can he can make a statement without saying it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I noticed that a lot in the first reel of the film, hmm. uh, in the blocking and in the camera work. And uh, uh, I also, you know, uh, I, I I enjoyed a lot of the longer takes that I noticed. And then I ain't gonna lie to you. I fell the fuck asleep. About half, <laughs> you know, I, I I missed the battle. I missed the war part. Oh, Didn't wow. see any of it. Wow. Yes. Didn't see a goddamn war part. scene. I woke up in the uh, courtroom scene. Oh wow! I, yeah, yeah. I woke up at the okay. court. Woke up at the court martial. I thought Derek noticed. That was really embarrassing. No, what, I, what no. Did, I didn't notice. Can I, I, you didn't notice at all. No. Can I ask what do you remember before you the war scene? Oh man, I remember. All right, so uh, or what was like the last thing right, you remember? So, so let me, where do you think you fell asleep? Hold please. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so I saw that first scene, and then we move into the trenches where we're tracking back, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, really enjoyed the uh, the timing and what I believe Kubrick was saying with uh the uh artillery shells hitting mm-hmm. um during the dialogue there so and i'm just gonna say if you fell asleep it, it went right into the war scene right after yeah. those tracking shots so you must Sick. have fell asleep <laughs> right at, didn't right feel then. like i missed much okay you know because like I, I was sitting there you know i kind of got my bearings a, a few minutes into that scene but I, I saw the uh saw the scene where kurt douglas kirk Douglas, Kirk <laughs> Douglas. Uh, <laughs> he is French. Yeah, he is French in this movie. Yeah, yeah. He is a French. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Quote unquote French. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Kirk Douglas has got his glorious breasts out, and then he puts his uh, jacket on without an undershirt. Mm-hmm. Um, that really threw you. <laughs> Are you uh, who the fuck does that? Who does that? It's I got do a that. satin lining. I do. That. He's uh, not expecting to sweat. In war, yeah, I guess. I guess so. Yeah, yeah. I was also thinking, it's just like, man, isn't it cold in France? Uh, but. Uh, Either way, either way, all that stuff aside, uh, I I started losing it around mm. there, and then I was awake for bits and pieces, and then all of a sudden it was a court martial. <laughs> um, Quite honestly, I you didn't miss really much as far as plot structure is concerned. Uh-huh. That whole sequence is just a cool war scene of like no dialogue, just yeah. like guys battling through the trenches. You know, honestly, if if <clears throat> if I can take anything from Kubrick's other work that mm-hmm. I've seen, you know. The the scene the war scenes in Full Metal Jacket yeah, yeah. you could sleep through that shit too for the most part yeah it, what the fuck you know, it, he doesn't I, do action well he does subtlety well well um, quite on, I I I, I uh, be, because you haven't didn't actually see these scenes I'll I'll give you some leeway yeah, yeah, yeah. but uh, I I found these to be really visually interesting even though mm-hmm. there was no story going on uh-huh. I felt engaged the whole time we were going through that war scene like each time they were like going over each of the hobbles and like each like little conquest one at a time and then like all of those things sort of coming together I thought that was like really well shot I, I was actually gonna mm-hmm. gonna kind of mention that like there's not a single word of dialogue through that whole thing but it's like still really i i I can only say engaging like you're you're just Mm. feel like you're they're part of it i mean um not engaging enough it would seem well (laughs) (laughs) well maybe it's super engaging to some there's very engaging maybe i've just got elsewise uh interests you know what i think also i know this is going to sound a little far-fetched but i think the sound might have had an effect on you Mm. because yes because the shots yeah the monotony of the shells uh, it was very specific and it timed and it was a very like almost droning and i don't Mm. know how i don't know if you go to sleep with like white noise but i do i need noise to go to sleep so sometimes those sounds kind of do make you a little drowsy i think maybe i don't know but it's just again my stupid theory you know, uh, yeah, I'm not too sure. I also found the, I found like the, the over theatricality of some of the characters mm-hmm. to be a bit, 
it didn't suck me in, you know, kind of put me out. No, I agree with bit. you. I agree with um, you there. I think the beginning was like that. It was over sentimental, it was over dramatic, and it got a little boring. Yeah. I agree with you. I mean, you. I, yeah, during the first scene, I remember just thinking like, oh, yeah, this is whip smart dialogue. Yeah. Okay. You know? Yeah. Uh, mm. it, and it, I found like myself wondering, it's like, how many of these lines are necessary exposition? <laughs> and how many of these lines oh are just gosh. fillers to have no dead space in this conversation? So much exposition. Yeah. Honestly, oh, I think yeah. that might be why I like the war scene so much because it literally was just like real acting of like, mm -hmm. you know, real shit going on. Yeah. And then everything else just felt so kind of stagey compared to it. Yeah. Like you could definitely see more glimmers of Kubrick's future yeah. in those war shots, I thought. Yeah. It, it felt like this was a cobbled together piece. And I agree with Derek. I, I haven't seen this in about 10 years and I was really young. And I think, that I, I agree with everything you said about the length, but you're right, Sean, about how I was young and that how I thought the war was much shorter and the uh, court scene was much longer because I was bored by it. Mm -hmm. At mm -hmm. this time, completely agree with Derek. I wanted more court scene. Uh, the court scene was like one fucking scene. I'm like, wait a minute. I remember it being this huge, yeah. long thing. Yeah. And the, it, I found myself with the, sh with the war. I was like, these are awesome shots, but they're too long. They are too long. And not the tracking shots. Tracking shots were slightly too long, honestly. That second yeah. one was insane. It was, I get what it was doing. It was showing you all the people there and blah, blah, blah. But the other ones where they were just going across no man's land was so excessive. And I found myself just like looking at extras and like following specific extras and seeing how well he, you know, fell down a hill. And it was, that's yeah. not what this is meant for. Like, it's, yeah. so after you're lingering on these shots too long, I kind of lose my tracking of it. Yeah. I, it loses the momentum. Guy that's too. when I fell asleep. I <laughs> fell asleep when they were rolling down the hills. Mm. Okay. Interesting. Okay. So not not yeah, a, you not a helpful much. addition. Not <laughs> no, a helpful addition. No, but you did not miss sense. much. Yeah. There was a yeah. There was the one headless guy in it. Did you guys catch that? I See, so. I think I I had the exact same thought that you did, and then I honed in on it. I believe what you were seeing was his uh, pot on his back, so it wasn't like a neck that was sheared yeah, off. But I, I kept I kept staring at it because I mm -hmm. that that was going to be my issue is I wasn't sure. Mm -hmm. Like I was not sure, and the way it was shot. I was like, I was like, oh, is this dude headless? I was like, for that time, that's pretty incredible that they would do that. But yeah, thank you. Um, I mean, it, 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 when if it's this, I assume it's the same shot I'm thinking mm -hmm. of. It, it it looked like a clean severed neck with no blood. Right. So that's right. why I kept yeah. looking at it more and like, yeah. uh, I I thought I saw the the end of like a cooking pot and like a handle and like the okay. uh yeah the the backpack more like came up over his back and covered his head maybe. placing the pot or in maybe that general Kubrick head area. said that to the censors too yeah he's like maybe. that's a pot guys he yeah. he had to digitally add that later because he had too much blood on set <laughs> maybe but I, I want to get back to this point I was saying about how dis disjointed that's fine how disjointed it was <laughs> <laughs> like just like this podcast yeah, yeah. uh because uh it it really was not a war movie. It's a courtroom drama with like some war footage and then like a bunch of narration and exposition at the beginning. And yeah. then this beautifully sentimental ending, which felt great. I, I, we got to talk about the ending later maybe, yeah. but it was just so disjointed. And I, I didn't think it had a cohesive story. And I was a little disappointed because I, I always remember this as one of my favorite Kubrick movies. And it definitely felt like, yeah, this is Kubrick who's kind of learning the ropes not quite at his peak yet. And it was okay. There was flashes of brilliance, obviously, with some of those tracking shots, some of those just simple scenes. And even in the beginning with the blocking, like when they were like walking around each other, that was really masterful. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and just the locations were fucking beautiful. God, he does such great shit with locations. Like 
you can go to the most just just one castle in Germany or the fuck and he'll shoot every beautiful piece out of it. And that's a, obviously a masterful thing you can see here. So there's there's obviously those elements, but I just think that as a story, it's lacking a lot. There's moments of absolutely emotional like connection that I have because honestly, Kirk Douglas kills it in this movie and he's unbelievable. I, I like, I was shocked how good of an actor he was. I didn't realize how every line's wonderful. I like, he really made me believe every line. I was sucked in at like the courtroom drama and the, also the actors of the, the prisoners. Yeah. Pharaoh was great. That too was yeah. really good. Like I was definitely tied in at the end. I was not close. I was close to tears at the end when they died and the, and they were singing the song. That was a great moment. But I think that just, he was just like had these, these flashes of, you know, mom moments of emotional brilliance. And I can't say that it's a good story, but it's just, I don't know. It's like half a good story, I guess. Yeah, yeah I mean, to me, this, it was three completely different movies. So, I mean, basically the story structure is that we like start with these uh, uh, French generals deciding that they're going to take over the anthill they're talking about, essentially, which is basically just the other bunker that the Germans have, however many you know, meters across this no man's land. So we have uh, a few uh, lieutenants that have a... Uh, uh, three battalions that are all supposed to attack at one time. Uh, uh, Kirk Douglas's battalion and one other go, and then one basically chickens out with the fucking uh, the drunken lieutenant. And uh, the, what the uh, is that the colonel that says that the he wants to bomb his own guys at that point? He's uh, a general. He's general. a general. The general yeah. wants to bomb his Kirk, own guys. Colonel that, is uh, Kirk Douglas. Dax. Oh, I'm, I thought he was a lieutenant. Colonel no, Dax. He's a colonel. Gotcha. I'm bad at military structure. Um, either way, they uh, decide that uh, the failure and cowardice of the men needs uh, retribution. Uh, so they take one man from each battalion and put them on trial. Uh, trial's kind of a kangaroo court. And then we end with this weird slave woman singing to us in a bar while everyone cries. Well, they don't just cry. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that's glossing over the best scene in the movie, I think, which is I, that scene. I completely disagree. You, but, you disagree? Yeah. yeah, to me, okay. that scene was absolutely you think it's out unnecessary? of place and I, weird and hmm. uh, uncontextual. If the song has something to do with something, it might make sense to something. Gotcha. You but it was like, do you not think that the entire movie is anti-war and like all about like compassion and things like that? Sure, and I, I just don't know that. So thematically, isn't there a similarity between these people who are like looking at this German who's who's basically from the other side, someone they're currently at war with. Mm -hmm. She's singing this song, and she's got this emotion, and they are sharing that emotion with her. Isn't that kind I of almost agree with compassion? The emotion I see is fear. I see you a fucking captive prisoner that's being prodded to perform. Correct, but then what about the men? What do you think? What do you take their their crying as? Weird and off putting. Yeah, I I, I agree with Sean. Okay. Probably not. Huh. Uh, probably not as like from from the exact same as viewpoint. vehemently. <laughs> you know, venomously. Uh, I think that scene to me because I I saw that you were really invested in it. Yeah, and uh, I didn't I, know that until he yelled at me. I saw. Yeah, yeah. I had to yell at him because <laughs> no, he's saw, making jokes about like a modern day actor who's definitely not in the scene. <laughs> I mean, you know. Uh, but uh, so it, I, it just felt so off putting to me because it, it just seemed a movie that was so intentionally cold, and then all of a sudden it's just like, no, here's the emotion, here's the reality of it. 
it just seemed a bit ham-fisted to yeah. me, or it seemed to, you know. Okay. I get that. And maybe yeah. maybe it is kind of ham-fisted to wedge that in at the end. It uh, wedged in, absolutely. But but, but I, I still feel like that scene in and of itself is something that... I think like, the idea I, of the exactly. scene is fantastic. Yep. I think the execution of the scene is like, what the fuck I think am I... She's, yeah. uh, I think that that's much better acted than any other scene in the well rest of the yeah. movie. I think it's well acted. I just think it's poorly put in there. So yeah. like the, okay. the fault isn't on the actress huh. or the actors. The fault is on Stanley Kubrick for not bridging that gap a little better i i yeah. honestly i see it this is so diplomatic i see it both ways and <laughs> really i hate this i hate myself <laughs> uh, it's not diplomatic because yeah you know i mean uh well i think the, th the thing is i really did like that scene i think it's a good scene i was emotionally tied to it i was about to cry i thought it was it made sense and I, i'm I wikipedia the song and obviously it makes a lot of sense more. I'll tell you about the song, but I mean, I didn't know about the song when I first saw it. So that doesn't matter to yeah. me, honestly. So, right. but I will say that it was out of place. It was, it, it just was not connected specifically with Kirk Douglas and those three soldiers who were just killed that we just saw. And we right. just went from those shot. It was like a hard cut, not a hard cut, but it was, those kids were killed. Kirk Douglas walks back to his office. Instead of walking into his office, he goes back and looks at his soldiers and we go to the scene. And it's a little, it's a little, oh, what's the word? It's like the bends. It's just well, too, too much. Yes. And, and I don't like the, the, the one thing that I will say about it is I don't like the implication that it gives. It gives an implication outside of this whole thing, which is those are, those are the same men. They've just, they're aware that three of their friends have just been murdered right. in a Good court point. martial. And they're in this thing getting drunk, which I get the getting drunk part, but the happiness that they have. I so I can yeah, get I could get great. your point if that's maybe kind of what's causing you guys to feel that because it feels a little wedged well, in if I that's the case. Fits, that feeds into it certainly. I think okay. if it just had the actual maybe like a slight moment of just drinking and happiness and then went right into this German woman singing this song and yeah. then they really got emotional with it. Actually right. that wouldn't have been that bad, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. maybe because yeah. it had that well, long, long it was long, like good 30 seconds of just drinking, laughing at this woman, making jokes at her Endless expense. Whistling. Yeah. yeah, it was awful. It was disgusting. Yeah. And mm -hmm. we, to get that feeling right after it was definitely a strange uh, thing to make the audience feel. Yeah. And especially yeah. from my fragmented perspective of the movie, <laughs> um, when, I, when I came to in the court martial scene, I, it took me a moment to gather my bearings, but then I got really, really invested in the movie and I mm -hmm. found myself just spellbound for the rest of it. Um, uh, and the, the honest emotions that I felt at the injustice that was happening to these people, you know, as, as, as kind of over the top as I felt that some of the, some of the, uh, ways that that injustice was presented, um, occurred followed by that scene. It, it yeah. Just, Okay, I guess it would work. I guess too. I mean, I guess too, it might didn't work for me. Yeah. It might also work. You know, it might also be because I've seen the film before so i know what happens to the guys True. and everything yeah see the, so the only reason the for me to even i was watch hoping the movie that they'd survive i didn't scene. know what was going to happen i was yeah. genuinely yeah. until i definitely thought at least one would get away like yeah i, th yeah, I thought it was going to be one of those like you know last minute stays yeah, yeah. of you know like right. grandstanding from the general or, or uh the not the general but the whoever was in charge and basically my Douglas? thing no, not Douglas. No, <laughs> they, he was a general. They're they're both generals. Yeah. Ah. Uh, yeah. They were, they were well, the 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 general that he met with. Uh, yeah. To, yeah. Uh, can I say what I think I pinpointed about this? What, what kind of 
throws me is that it is an anti-war film, Derek. You're right, mm-hmm. but it, it's a it. The whole movie is about how what war does to one country, how they treat their own soldiers, and what the, what it does to your own country, and how you treat your your, your own you know your own soldiers. I guess I just said it. The other one, then what you're looking at there is what how they're treating a, a German woman, which is theoretically, I guess uh, you know, analogy mm-hmm. or metaphor for prisoner of war or how we treat right. foreigners. Yeah. It's not how we treat our own soldiers. So I think that's slightly different. It's just a different message. They're both anti-war for sure, but I think it's not quite jiving with the message that's for 99% of the movie. That yeah. yeah. I mean, in like like I do understand that there needs to be that sort of uh emotional uh you know kind of ending or you know some sort of payoff with like how this affects all the morality of the other the other soldiers i just like do you think kubrick like fit it in there because he was like hey i need some emotion here i i structurally i do think that 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 sort of thought does definitely belong right there i just don't think that uh maybe just my being so far removed from ev- everything it, i i i think like maybe if i knew what that song was or something that would have more of an impact but yeah but i don't like, think you're supposed yeah. to like i don't think he thinks american audience yeah, like I don't, that song I, I i i just felt like i was totally missing the the entire thing with that scene i think that's fair totally. i think i, I think i figured out why the scenes totally in fair. there apparently that uh that that character was played by uh, a german actress christine harlan who she later got became a big credit who, who later became uh kubrick's wife until he died so <laughs> oh my so god that would wow. be that's oh why he's like that's in god. there for Fuck. sure oh my god so, that's all i, I needed to cut hear. this scene <laughs> jesus <laughs> christ wow we just do we discover something <laughs> i mean <laughs> Is maybe this, is maybe this not. Exclusive? I mean, maybe I don't know. I mean, it could be. Okay. Say <laughs> we breakdown, people. It, guys, we cracked it. We yeah. broke yeah. it down. Still a great scene, though. It all makes sense. I mean, sense. you know. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. Marry the girl, like the great emotional scene, marry Sando. Yeah. There you go. Wait, you can't <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, let's talk about some of the good characters in this f- nice film. Um, they were all characters. They were definitely they were. all they lots were. of good characters. Yeah. I thought yeah. they. I was almost distracted by how many characters there were. Yeah. I was like sometimes like even the uh, the drill instructor, for instance, that dude with the awesome mustache. The guy that looked only- like Cliff Clavin. I don't know who Cliff Clavin oh, is. That's the guy from uh, uh, Cheers. Okay, probably then. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yes, I do know who that is. I do know Cliff. Yes, he does look like that dude. Yes, he answers. Anyways, we got to see him for a little bit. He had a really cool scene where he was like walking down the line telling him about how he would, um, how they were going to shoot the dudes, honestly, in the firing mm-hmm. line. And um, and we only got like a few scenes with him and he was great. Yeah. Uh, and there was just a couple of great characters like that. Um, and I'm just, you know, being on the periphery right now, we're not talking about the greats and right. Kirk Douglas and the generals, yeah. and the, you know. Um, I don't know. What do you think, Derek? Um, so I thought it was interesting because character wise, I felt like, um, I felt like there was a lot of people who were kind like the, the way that their characters were written, we kind of were supposed to feel like they were kind of snarking villains and you know, but with both of the, actually both of the generals were written that way, both of them. But I think the portrayal by the two actors mm. was different yeah. enough that you actually, one of them you didn't hate as much. The, he was more buffoonery than- I didn't get that choice. Yeah. What was that fucking choice? It's, it's, to make it's him strange. Like, 
buffoonery. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's supposed to be evil villain. It was all for that one juxtaposition shot where Douglas uh, is about to go to bed, and then the guy comes in and tells him that uh, they were ordered to bomb their own men, and then we cut to this dude like shit-eating green on his face walking <laughs> through the goddamn uh, party scene. I don't. Yeah. I didn't get that. I wasn't honestly. I was. I was thrown. Yeah. I was like, "Is this yeah. a bad choice by Kubrick or the actor?" Like, right. I don't know. Maybe or my. I don't know because like he, especially at the end when he has that final conversation with uh, Kirk Douglas. Yeah. He's supposed to know more than he's letting on. Obviously, mm, right. He, like he's you know always especially when Kirk Douglas shuts the door and tells him you know he bombed his own dudes and he. Takes it seriously. Um, that was a nice little piece of blocking too. That, that was like wonderful. comedic, like Chaplin esque almost, where he like walks him to the door and then just walks him right around on that last piece of information. Like, it was great. Yeah. It, was, it was yeah, perfectly timed too. Like yeah. just that moment where he slams the door. Um, but I just thought that he was supposed to know a little bit more and lead a little bit more towards that villainy. He, he Kirk Douglas basically has his enormous climax in the entire movie and mm -hmm. he screams, go to hell at the guy. And right. the guy's like, cluck, 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 Yeah, we're still aware that he <laughs> has a job after yeah, that, which is kind of like, crazy. Like. Why? No, he's supposed to be evil and a bad guy, right? Yeah. He's supposed to be the most evil man in this war, but no, he's, yeah, cluck, 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 like it's jokey British comedy. Like it's weird. Well, maybe, yeah. the, maybe the commentary there is that it's all a game to people like it's him. Strange love. You know what? That's a good point. That's a yeah. good point. And maybe I'm not looking at it like that. But, uh, and yeah, that's a good point. Maybe I'm not looking at the banality yeah, of so evil. so far removed from it that it doesn't make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that well definitely said. became the entire thesis of Dr. Strangelove. Like, sure. Mm. Plus, I think always there needs to be a little comedy in everything, I think. And he's good at it, honestly. God, yeah. He is good yeah. at comedy. He's mm -hmm. he just That subtle comedy that like, yeah. yep. They're just even lines, little flashes yeah. of it. There's yeah, there's just great moments there too. Yeah, I mean, it, and that's the thing with Kubrick. Like he he uses all of cinema. So like when we talk about a comedic director, he's using the camera for comedy. He's using blocking for comedy. He's using lighting for comedy. Like all of the aspects of filmmaking, he can turn to like what he needs it to do. So like, I mean, it's not just, you know, being uh, a Will Ferrell movie where you put two people in front of a camera and let them improvise for three days straight. It's fucking actually devised and planned for a specific emotional response from the audience, which I think is sorely lacking in, the idea of comedy films today. Hmm. Agreed. Okay, uh, yeah. so let's get to the meat of this. To Kirk Douglas, um, the generals, the other gen, not not the other general, the jokey general, the other one, the mm. the really bad one, the, the one who bombs his own dudes, George Bomber George McCready, I think is yeah. the actor's That's name. Good call. Uh, I thought that I did not really care much for his performance. It probably because it's just too much of a Cartoon like. Yeah, it's too cartoony. It's too, you know, he doesn't have, uh, he, he doesn't, he should have had like some kind of like mustache to twirl. Exactly. Yeah. Um, he did. He had his little goatee thing. He did have the yeah. goatee thing. Um, but it was, it was a little too much, you know, and, and, and he needs like a cigarette and a holder. Those two and, characters I mean, reminded me of the twin uh, brothers from Trading Places. If, oh, if y'all have seen that. Uh, uh, Waldorf and Stettler? <laughs> Oh no, that's the Muppets, right? <laughs> <laughs> They're the same thing, though. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. No, they literally are. Like those characters are based off. Of, oh, okay. I can't remember which one came first, but the Muppets and those two guys are directly yeah. corresponding. Very interesting. Yeah, I. So I didn't. I didn't care much for him. I thought Kirk Douglas was like great, great. There's only mm -hmm. like one time where I was like, mm, you know, um, the what was it? 
it it was that moment where he did kind of like the emotion scene. Yes. Oh, the cage I, rage. I yeah. felt uh, like it okay. was a uh, little uh, bit. Yeah. I would have liked it to be a little more withdrawn than that. I feel like, <laughs> that, I feel like that was his worst like, take. Like they fought. I, I think, think there's so a good too. take in there. I think there's a better take. <laughs> I, there's that. a better take. Well, you know, because you know, Kubrick, Kubrick did, did it. Takes, yeah, yeah, yeah. hundred takes yeah. of that. So yeah. um, uh, well, back then, he might not have had the budget or the leeway. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think he would have. So, based upon the development of this, yeah, I know it was nothing like, about history. So, it was like Kirk Douglas's kind of like anti war baby, oh, basically. Right he wanted this made, he wanted to get across an anti war message, hmm. all this kind of stuff. So, I think that probably he would have been down for whatever, however many takes need need be for that. Um, but, uh, but other, some of the other side guys that are great in it is, um, uh, Arno, Arno, one of the yeah. one of the prisoners who's actually uh, one of the guys who has to go before the firing squad. He was kind of the one who gets knocked unconscious. Mm. Before Joe, it happens. Joe Turkle. Yeah, <laughs> yes, Joe Turkle is the guy's name. Good name. Uh, he is well known because he's got. Uh, well, so he's he's the um, the bartender in uh, The Shining, right? Mm. And he's also uh, in Blade Runner. He's uh he's the uh creator of the replicants. No spoilers. I haven't seen wow, his filmography is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome you movie. haven't seen Blade Runner? No. That's a spoiler in and of itself. <laughs> uh all right. Well, Blade Runner in our future, but a long future because we're still Yeah, I thought we weren't we're allowed still to do in color the forties and fifties. So <laughs> we'll get there. Um but yeah, so he's in it. Uh another actor who's who's makes an appearance in this and is in like another like really great film is uh emil uh meyer who plays father dupree which it's kind of <laughs> funny seeing this guy who's like in all these westerns mm-hmm. playing like a priest in this and he's all and he's in one of my my uh one of my uh, you know a movie that i like let's go there uh let's not <laughs> say it's one of my favorite movies but He's in a sweet smell of success as like a uh, kind of like a, a crooked cop hmm. uh, who who like gets to you know beat up Tony Curtis. So that's always uh, fun. And seeing him in this as a as a preacher kind of like st- sticks out a little bit for me. But yeah, uh, I couldn't tell if he was like Boston or Chicago. But either way, it was like yeah, it was no. weird. Side it was of he was like <laughs> I think here's what happened. I think I think I think probably all like probably they were like freaking out and they were like, oh, we got to do French accents. We got to do French accents. <laughs> they get their Kirk Douglas doing in regular accent, and they're like, oh, sweet, totally. Yeah, we can forget this. It's like that Robin Hood movie with uh, uh with Prince of Thieves. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which nobody does an accent. Actually, no, everyone does an accent around him. That's around the opposite. Him. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's, true. Yeah, that's true. right. Christian Slater doesn't, though, does he? He does. Ooh, he yeah, does? I think he tries. He, he yeah. tries, right? It yeah. doesn't, doesn't matter. It's sort just of. still him. It's still Christian yeah, it Slater. It's still a great movie. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. the film also had Burt Freed in it. Oh, <laughs> yes, that's correct. Yeah. What's a Burt Freed? Burt Freed, you know. Keep saying it. From Billy Jack. <laughs> Billy yes. Jack? Yes. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> He's the villain in Billy Jack. Wow. Who was Bert Fried in this movie? Uh, he was Sergeant Boulanger. But who was that? I don't know who that was. He was the fella him. standing next to the fella that uh, has the uh, shell shock, which doesn't exist, mm. according uh, to the general. Uh, he mm. took him away, and yeah. Yeah, I got yeah. you. He also, also, here's a weird thing. Bert Fried was also the first Detective Columbo. He was the first seven, <laughs> seven years before Peter Falk like, wow. really took that role and 
Did, was it yeah. continuous or like they did a season uh, and no, then it was, came back? So my understanding is it was on some other show. It oh. was just an appearance of that character. Gotcha. And, they, and they spun it off into a thing. They use that character later with Peter Falk. Right then. On the show. Hmm. And, and then TV changed forever. Yeah. Sort of. One more thing. <laughs> well, okay. Yeah. So since we're, we're talking thing, about yeah. Bert, yeah. We're yeah. Talking yeah. About Bert Free. Good. That was good enough. Uh, and you mentioned that shell shock thing. I thought that was actually interesting that you mentioned mm. that because he, the general says shell shock doesn't exist. Um, one, do you guys? I mean, it's definitely. Do we believe in shell shock? Uh, yeah, no, not, <laughs> no. I just, I just. I know. Well, we call it PTSD now, but it's just so. Um, I don't know. It's funny to see a time where they were just not. It's almost. It's almost comical, even though it's not comical. It's tragic that yeah. they thought about it like that, and they, and the way that the French general was like laughing about, oh, you know, they're just three dead men, and blah blah blah. Just how they will kill three men, and that's what happens. Blah blah blah. You'll you'll have fifty percent of your men when you reach Antill. All that stuff. It was just like so um, nonchalant about death and and bodies yeah. piling up. Yeah. You know, I I think I would have been on that train a little bit harder had i not just seen that uh that documentary they shall not grow old or whatever it was called because like a lot of those dudes talking were talking about like how excited they were to go to war and like i was 14 years old and i just had to lie and they, i told yeah. him i was 14 and he said hey come back in when you're 17 and so i walked out and i came back in the door and told him i was 17 and i signed up and i was raring to go and all my buddies were there and like i don't know it was like a different view of the entire sort of concept. Right. I've been thinking a lot about this, but obviously because I'm obsessed with history and European history in general, but like um, specifically because of World War One and, and what it is in military history and that the technology was so absolutely deadly, but they still, at least at the beginning of the war, the, te the techniques and the strategy was so absolutely primitive mm -hmm. and insane to the point where, I mean, there's so many stories about this. Where they still got fucking swords on their belt. Swords on their belt. <laughs> they didn't, they, the original French soldiers in 1914 were wearing blue and red uniforms, just bright red <laughs> on the, on the fields of battle, like targets for the Germans. No uh, the Germans were wearing like gray. You know, like, mm. it, so it wasn't even, it was crazy. And they were still like, you know, running into battle on horses with, you know, it was, it was crazy. And, and, it, and we didn't realize, I think, and even then, I, I would talk more about the sound of it later, but the idea of the, the artillery barrage, this mm. creeping artillery barrage, we don't realize what artillery was back then. It was actually much more intense and more powerful and they would use it as creeping barrages. So they would time out these actual um, waves of artillery. So you would see it coming almost. And these guys would sit in their trenches and just sit in the mud and watch their death come. Well, along those lines, just seeing Kurt Douglas with a fucking charging the enemy with a whistle and a six shooter like there's just something so i don't know just outdated about or like weird well, or that, like how well that's is the that... thing is they didn't they didn't always do the over these top charges they did do some of them and is actually this it, is i was based, under the impression that's how like any ground was gained or lost they like, did a little of them but they realized and at the beginning of the war for sure but and, and that's the thing is there were these stages of the war oh, the, then the tanks came in and like well that was late 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 late, late. that was 1918 or something like 17 but the thing is in the beginning it was really crazy like there was movements and stuff like really old school war and then they had and the germans were almost into paris and then mm. basically what happened was the battle of the Marne threw them back and they 
basically settled into trenches. And after that point, they all went to rush north to try to get to the sea, the, the English Channel, to try to outflank each other. So at that point, they were basically making trenches towards the north. And after that, they reached the sea. It was trench warfare till the end of the war. Hmm. And I'm just talking about, by the way, the Western Front. The Eastern Front is a whole fucking other story. <laughs> you know, there's a, like we don't talk about that at all. No one talks about World War One. Like. Yeah, we don't talk about World War One. By the way, I do recommend Dan Carlin's Hardcore History about this. Mm. It's fantastic. Uh, I've listened to it a couple times before. It's just... You, can't know enough about World War One without listening to that. Just, I didn't even know this movie was about World War One. I. I just assumed it was about World War Two. Anyways, I think <laughs> I do. Well, moving past that, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, moving on. Uh, no, I, obviously, before I saw it and saw the date of production. No, I don't. I didn't even mean to insult you. I just want to. Continue talking. You were like, man, <laughs> World War II lasted from 1916 <laughs> until when? You know what? I'm going to take it, your I'm going to take your mistake and turn it into an, an astute point, Sean. Because it's not actually, a mistake. It's, it's it's my truth. You know, it's not just your truth. It's, <laughs> it's probably the truth because the truth is, World War One and World War Two were just the same war with a small period of peace in between, and that and that really was the truth. And I don't have a mic drop sound effect. Yeah, it, it. It, it is because the Treaty of Versailles after World War One was just the the starter for all of the stuff leading to Hitler and World War Two. So we can talk about this way way later. But <laughs> yeah. the, on a different show. Yeah, yeah. but, but yeah. my point History of this show. But my point of this all was 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 about World. World War One and the unique place it has in the experience of a soldier, and that at the beginning of World War One, they actually didn't like switch out the soldiers. You were like literally on your trench for months, sitting in your mud hole for maybe a year and a half or something like that. Like that's why they had shell shock it, and and mm -hmm. listening to artillery barrages all day in a mud hole for a year. Like that's going to drive literally any man crazy. Right. So that's why people. When they when they shoot each other like this, we forget that it's really you're shooting people who are putting them through the grinder. And I think we kind of, this movie kind of showed that, but I didn't actually think it was gritty enough. I no. didn't think it showed enough no. death. It didn't show enough mud. It didn't, you know what I mean? It was too. I think there was like one or two shots of blood. Like maybe, it, yeah. If that, and I mean, I get it. It's the fifties. Yeah, and, and also they have to like the the main ones they have to focus on. Kind of had like, you know, well one of them shouldn't have been there like one of them like was unconscious knocked unconscious when the whole thing happened so yeah. he couldn't have he couldn't attack anyway yeah so like they kind of had three different situations in which both of the all three of those guys you're like well this guy doesn't deserve this you know sure. um they didn't have really anybody who was in a situation that maybe a lot of the people back then were uh you know in which like probably you know uh, they would not be in a mental state to be able to uh, go across the line to begin with, you know? I agree. Um, yeah, I just think it's it's so crazy, the experience. I, I think yeah. I, I constantly forget that, and, I, and I'm so sheltered. I don't understand the experience of war in general, and the experience of World War One is to the extreme. And I, I think it's interesting because they actually did outlaw this a year after in, this happened in 1916. Where basically this this was based on a real thing. Let me just simply start talking about that. This is based off what's called the the Suwon Corporals Affair, which was March 1915. So it was really, really, really early in the war. And in 1916, they basically said, "Fuck this! We can't have the soldiers declaring these kangaroo courts and just killing people because that's what happened." They basically this this division this or, the, or the corps. I think it was a corps. It was like a big amount of soldiers they killed these guys these three or I think it was like four guys and 
the general staff didn't even know about it. Mm. So at, at the time, if the generals knew about it, they would have called it off. But I think they didn't know about it until like a couple hours later. Mm. So they mm. were just kind of like this isolated core of soldiers that were able to have their own little law. And it was huh. insane. And, and I think yeah. after that, they realized they couldn't do that. So they outlawed yeah. that. But it was based off a book. Um, uh, I forgot the guy's name. I have to look it up right now. It was based off of, by Humphrey Cobb. Mm. So. It was a, of the I think same it was name. untitled at the time, right? Was it? Is that I true? think the book was untitled. Every book's untitled time. at some point. <laughs> at least, yeah, well, at least until, like... Uh, They're all made up, all those words. I don't know. <laughs> Had no title when it was finished, so the publisher held a contest for it. Huh. And the contest uh, winning entry came from the Paths of... Oh, Paths of Glory. So the novel was, I guess, Paths of Glory as well. Yeah, Humphrey Cup. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> but, but, but we got where the title comes from. It comes from uh, um, Thomas Gray poem, 1751 poem. Mm. Wait, so the winner yeah. of the contest was someone else's work, clearly. Yeah. Okay, cool. So mm -hmm. back in the day, you could just, you could just submit a... Submit somebody else's work, and it's called a meme. It, it was probably yeah. <laughs> perhaps it was a meme. He yeah. quote tweeted his way to a victory. Exactly. Yeah, you just copy the, you just screenshot it and forward Striking it on as your own work. commentary. Sean. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. What did you guys think about the locations? The 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 scenery. You think it was beautiful? Or do you think it was well? You think it was the right location? What do you think? One thing that struck me is all of the interiors. <laughs> like I, I didn't expect this to be like a studio ish movie. I thought I thought this was going to be like I said more like the, uh, uh, you know, gritty war movies. So yeah. even the gritty war stuff was very polished and stylized. And like we said, the trenches looked like they had been you know meticulously crafted by production design rather than like lived in for years you know um that it's it it worked as set pieces but they i didn't get realism from just about anything wow yeah yeah i felt like those those i felt like it was too many big rooms mm. yeah in my opinion um, why too many why too many yeah i just every every room in it is like big i i get so I get the contrast in doing the size of the room where the, the guys are being held the, and the dirt yeah, holes yeah. and those kinds of things. But but to have to have like the the actual trial and everything in this huge room mm -hmm. that's very similar to the same room where they're like it feels almost like everything's basically in the same room. But like I, the I think dance is I think in the it was same saying, room. Though, that was the, the general's space. Like that, yeah. that yeah. castle was made for the officers and the generals. And, and yeah, I just got that whole I opulence that. versus yeah. the the dis, you know the dystopian bullshit that they have and to live I, in. I agree I with Sean. Yeah, I think there's a way to do that without everything being <laughs> in that rooms that look exactly alike. Well, perhaps. Mm. Yeah, I I do. Um, but uh, I mean, so aside aside from that, I mean the the trenches were. Fine. Um, one interesting thing is you never actually see any Germans mm -hmm. in yeah. the entire film. That is interesting. Like Dunkirk. Except for uh, the, yeah. the girl at the end. That's Christian it. Christian Kubrick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's so um, interesting. But yeah, so so that was what I, I, I'd actually mentioned earlier about like that one-sided storytelling. There's no point of view shots from them either. The only point of view shots we get are actually from our own people looking mm -hmm. through those binoculars that they have. Mm -hmm. They have a shot from the side of uh, the line like going towards, but that's apparently the general's point of view. 
which mm. actually is the only general's point of view. One of the things that I found interesting, just to get in, I know it's not camera time, but yet, but here we wait, go. Wait, I'm sorry, wait, weren't there other points of view shots though? There were points of view shots. One of the, so there were points of view shots, but not of the, not of the general other than like the looking through the binoculars. I'm sorry, general, you mean? Through the general's eyes. You mean eyes. through the general's eyes. You mean eyes. Kirk Douglas? No, 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 that's the colonel. Okay. Who are yeah. you talking about? The general? The, the guy general. that called in the bomb strike. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, so, that's so, he's the villain. We're not going to see it through his eyes. Correct. Correct. But, but I think that that's a subtle, subtle thing that Kubrick does with that because the, our first tracking shot through the trenches uh, we see the we see the general the entire time basically as he's walking along that. Uh, later we have a tracking shot that's kind of almost the same thing, but it's a point of view with the soldiers looking towards camera. This is Kirk Douglas's point of view. Uh, there is one more time that that like happens. Uh, actually, there's one other tracking shot point of view that I noticed. There's probably more, but uh, it is the um, the lead prisoner's uh, point of view as Kirk Douglas looks at him as he's being marched up. And so I think that's interesting that he, he chooses who he's going to put us in mm. the point of view in that moment. And I think it works effectively too, right? Because I, I really do think that, I, I think that even though the guy is giving this kind of like villainy, snarky thing like that he is doing as far as a performance goes, I think that you could sell it with the camera and Ka Kubrick is showing like signs of that he has that ability in this. I think that later on he'll do kind of the same things, but without the overall huge dramatic performance, you know? Totally. Okay, um, let's move to something slightly more fun. Let's play a game. Cast oh. it today. Guys, who, who are we picking to play Mr. Kirk Douglas? Well, Michael Douglas. <laughs> that's, that's a, that's a go-to. That's not a go-to. It's not bad. I was thinking Christian Bale. Sorry, that's a go-to. We always get as it go to that Bale, well. Yeah. yeah. Sam Rockwell. Sam Rockwell's a great pick. Would Christian Bale be doing an American accent in it? As a French that's person? Interesting. That's interesting. Ooh, yeah, we could have oh, Tom do Hardy to? do whatever the fuck he wants. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Just talking like this low gruffle that he does. I can or, see or that uh, really high pitched shit yeah. that he does oh, yeah. from time to time. Uh, yeah. Can, can we just Good let stuff. Nick Cage have it? Like, we I could. Mean, I mean, yeah. That would really sell that final, uh, yeah, that final go to hell moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chugging uh, a bottle of vodka in his underpants. <laughs> okay, who's a snidely whiplash general? Shoot him up. Who's he? Um, I forget his name. Michael Keaton. Michael, Michael Keaton. Keaton. You know what? Not bad. That's not bad. That not would be. Not bad. I think he's be... got. He's got. You know, the, he's developing the chops in his old age. And I was I, thinking of Robert Duvall. You know, uh, he's, he's older. He's kind of evilly now. I think that's a he's little maybe too, too old. Rough. I think, too gruff. Okay. Yeah, oh, I, I know what you mean. You're right. He's got to be have a little more Elon, a little more noble stuff to him. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's yeah. got a little gravitas to him. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It's a good point. Yeah, okay. I can't think of anyone. How about like a? Uh, so I was thinking Anthony Hopkins, but that's that's too. Who plays Kubrick's wife? <laughs> <laughs> Let's wow, see. Yeah. I um, guess it depends on who is directing. Right. Yeah. 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 The wife of the director, I guess. Our future Zeta wife Jones, of the director. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Catherine Zeta-Jones. Let's keep it's it in the family. Actually, yeah. <laughs> can she sing? In German, I think she can. <laughs> sing. I bet she can. Uh, yeah, you could overdub it. Mm. Probably. What about some of the? What about some of the prisoners? Any of the prisoners? They're all uh, great characters. Well, how about that guy Pharaoh? Who which one's Pharaoh? The guy, the the social delinquent. Yeah, dude. the main prisoner. Yeah, 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 yeah. The guy who's crying. The guy with the cut on his head. 
No. No. The other dude with oh, the dark the eyes. Other guy. Oh, that guy. That guy. Uh, who was the uh, the other prisoner from uh, Oh Brother Where Art Thou? So the, uh, um, is it John Turturro? Oh, that's not bad. That's not I'd bad. like that's to see that good. part played by Alan Rickman, like, like as a Resur- marionette. As a- <laughs> no, just <laughs> marionette no, Rickman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that'd be pretty good. You know, he's a marionette. Fucking, That'd be pretty uh, good. He's got about I, his, weekend you know, at Bernie's. Same amount of energy in his eyes. <laughs> I want to go a whole different way with this one. Uh-oh. I'm thinking like uh, John Cena. Oh, John Cena. Oh. I think Let's, The Rock I think, too. Now that we're going for the, with wrestlers, <laughs> The Rock yeah. has to play this bit so, part yeah. in this movie. Well, so <laughs> the Rock is now a character actor. <laughs> exactly. I love The Rock. I love all of his movies. Uh, he's like a good actor in all of his movies, but he's. I don't think I haven't seen him do like character stuff. I don't. Well, no, he, actually, yeah. I'll give you one. Get Shorty. Or Get Shorty 2, I think it was. Uh, Whatever he was. He he plays like a little, like a gay guy or like a a barber or something. Hmm. It's actually pretty funny. He's not bad. I mean, he plays a pretty like standard ish character in Ballers, but like, you know, um, it's not like. I think he's got some chops. You know, I do. I I don't doubt him. I just haven't seen it from him. Well, have you seen give the rocket from which mountain? <laughs> give, give the rocket chance. Will so, somebody give the rocket chance? I know. Why, I mean, yeah. why no, am I, I defending I mean, why? the rocket So, so all three should be wrestlers. Like, what about John Cena? Mm. We bring Stone Cold back. He's That's one of the true. other ones, and then fantastic. we got the Rock. Is fantastic. Yeah, I think Rowdy Roddy Piper needs to come back too. Yeah, I Isn't mean, he dead. They live too. Oh shit! Yeah, oh no, he he, he'll be a marionette too. <laughs> yeah, he's he's <laughs> R.I.P. R.I.P. He's no longer with us. Yeah. All right. Uh, what the fuck are we moving on to now? Oh shit! Sound. I got to talk about sound. All right. Yeah. All right. So, uh, okay. The sound is, is actually a pretty big part of this goddamn movie. Mm-hmm. Um, the music's cool. Uh, not a ton of it. Uh, Gerald Freed, shout out to you. You know, well done, sir. Um, I, I was a little thrown actually in the beginning with the narration. I thought the narration was a little weird. I don't like narration in general. Yeah. I'm gonna be very honest with Derek, you. Derek yes. actually was joking about that. I was as joking the movie about narration, up, yeah. and and then like both he and I were surprised by the fact that narration exactly like his joke. I'm always followed. thrown by it. Not I good, have like not a, a I have like a thing. You either do text at the beginning of a movie or you do narration. If you're gonna <laughs> do both, it, you can't do both. And they did both. That's the reason why I like Master and Commander. Text only. Done. Uh, don't yeah. need narration. I think you know? my. Uh, uh, All undying- Russell Crowe movies, actually. Mm-hmm. Most of them. Yeah. My yeah. undying love for Starship Troopers will never allow me to not like a newsreel narration at the beginning of a movie. Would you like to know more? No. Okay. Not no. from you. No. Okay. <laughs> um, so so uh, while you were on the subject of the music, just real quick, sure. this is notable because- Make note, please. This is notable because it was the first to use percussion instruments only- Wow, this film! Oh. I did notice that. I was going to yeah. mention it, but that's interesting. It's the, the first, first movie to do that. Really? Yeah. Ooh, weird. That's In actually cinematic history. Well, uh, you know what? I, okay, I don't want to jump. I'll save that for a second. But let's. Although let's... in the fifties, it was pretty easy to do the first of anything. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So drums are traditionally now the instrument of war and action. When you hear them, whether it's you know for a character and a moment, war. it's for not yeah, it's foreboding a moment of action or war. Um, it's really cool to see it, actually. I didn't realize that there was the pioneering kind of thing of it, but it was cool to see. And I wanted to point it out. I thought it was great. And I thought it was well done. Like, it was, he wasn't over the top. It was, a, a few times, it was a little bit too much. But I thought they mixed it up, too. Like, they had these boom, 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 big drums. I think, I don't even know what they fucking were. They were, like, huge, like, timpanis. Boom and, and then they had, um, 
that's a nice snare that built the tension and kind of broke it up. And then obviously we went back to the drums with the firing line. And that was where we just had the snares with the, the same drum pattern over and over and over again until they finally fired their final shot right before the snares cut out. So it, it definitely led to a, a nice glissando. Attention. Glissando. It should be not, a drinking game. Everybody Joey's gets one beer. I forced it. I, that's not yeah. really true. I forced really that. True. It's, it's yeah. actually more of a crescendo, if anything. And that's not really what it is. Anyways. <laughs> this fucking guy over here. Uh, okay. Let's quickly talk about some of the ADR, which actually was goddamn <laughs> classy. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about the moment where Kirk Douglas has a shirt off when we first meet him. They walk out of the, uh, of the trench, uh, or a little hole in the trench, or the room in the trench. And it's a hobbit hole. And it's a hobbit hole, it's true. And there's such a classy moment because they add a line when they're walking out and clearly the boom can't get there, but they add this clear reverb sound. But it's, it's I'm listening for it and I hear it, but it's still very well hidden. Mm-hmm. And it was a nice line that was smart and made sense and added to the scene and it was just well hidden. And I appreciate well hidden ADR, especially early on in the 50s. Should I explain what ADR is? Is that a thing we all know? Uh, I mean, not you guys, the audience. Uh, yeah. Why audience, not? why don't just you let us know? Yeah. All right. Or <laughs> let's, all right, let's just send us a mail. <laughs> Automated dialogue replacement. It's when we have to replace the dialogue that's recorded on set, whether there's a problem where they wanted to replace the language or blah, blah, blah. The actor fucked up. There's a million reasons. Google it. Yeah, you can find out. <laughs> but anyways, um, let's talk about some more of these sound effects. Uh, the gun sounds, the explosions, the background sounds. I appreciate it, but I will say again, they got repetitive. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to mix it up, people, okay? <laughs> Even if you're in the 50s and you only got tape, you got to mix it up. Even if you give it Dude, like- How many loops do you want to hold? I know, but you can't have the same freaking artillery shell every five seconds, okay? Or I, else I'm going to fall asleep. You can't. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. don't want Tim to fall asleep. People. You don't want me falling asleep yep. okay? in your film. Totally. No. It just gets repetitive. Yeah. I, I noticed it even before I noticed that Tim, he fell asleep. My, well, you didn't notice until I told you. But you know what's actually kind of interesting? It, it is kind of immersive in that it's it makes you feel like you are in the trenches hearing the same thing pounding yeah, over, over your head over, over and over. And over. So I get it. I get the monotony of it. You're right. Um, so it is interesting. Good call. Okay. My favorite part of the sound was actually the uh, the footsteps mm. and how exaggerated that was. And uh, uh, I, you oh, know, we got to talk about that. I ruminated upon it a bit. Oh, and, nice word. Uh, no pun intended. With no. the room. Innate. Oh, wow. No, I'm just room, really room fucking smart. Yeah. I was about to talk about natural room reverb. <laughs> no, I'm just incredibly intelligent. Now, you know, many big words. Uh, but uh, no, I, I was sitting there thinking about it, and it's like, uh, oh, God damn it. You made me lose my train. I'm sorry. <laughs> Skip me. Just fuck off. I'm so sorry. You were ruminating. Jesus. Yeah, I was, I'm still ruminating. Okay. Continue, Continue to ruminate. ruminate. Yeah, I'll talk gonna, about the ruminate. reverb. You'll I'm find where you're over here ruminating. Okay. <laughs> so, anyway, the reverb. Uh, one thing about it, it was a little fucking distracting. Okay. I like natural <laughs> reverb as much as the next guy, but it was over I the don't top. I think the next guy likes it as much as you. <laughs> okay. No. Maybe no. not. <laughs> okay. Most people are like, what is that? Yeah. Uh, I get it. You're in a fucking castle in Bavaria, but like, chill off those wide shots, man. You only have a boom 20 feet away. Maybe use other sound, use the sound from the close-up, or maybe get some fucking ADR in there. This is the 50s. I don't want to deal with boom sound from 50 feet away in a castle. Oh, I can't note, hear. Kubrick. I felt yeah. that the footsteps Kubrick, <laughs> Take note. I felt that the footsteps, here, here we go, found it again. Good. I felt that, I, I was sitting there thinking about, you know, just like, man, these are really over-exaggerated. And I felt that it kind of underscored the rigidity and the, uh, like, the, the almost 
comically out of touch nature of the of the entire uh like organization mm. you, you know what i mean like mm -hmm. it, i like the the moments where uh where the the prisoners at that point you know because they weren't soldiers anymore uh were ordered back to their seats in the kangaroo court scene you know the well, I thought actually that was interesting because he, because Kirk Douglas told them, you are soldiers when you're in the court. And he said, you need to act like soldiers talking to your general in the court. Mm -hmm. So they were, and they were doing their about face and doing their marching. So I do think that was actually kind of interesting because it added to that rigidity in that moment. Mm -hmm. But okay, I feel like I'm the footstep, like, because it, it was exaggerated in almost every scene. There was a scene outside when, when uh, the uh, leader of the, or whoever was in charge of the, the firing squad was telling them, you know how to behave and whatnot. Uh, they, the drunken lieutenant. The drunken lieutenant. Oh no, this was Cliff no, 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 Clavin. Yeah, no, no, no. The fellow with the big old goatee. Yeah, Cliff. Yeah. Cliff. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, his footsteps sounded almost like he was walking on loose gravel, and you could see that he was just walking on pavement. Interesting. Um, yeah, I didn't notice that, but that's totally true. And 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 you're right. The fucking you know fucking up the foley. Something small as a footstep really fucks you and takes you out of the movie. And that bothers me too. I, oh, I, see, I, I felt like it was an incredibly intentional. Oh, okay, and maybe it might have been just like overemphasized, like to over. Yeah, I felt all of the yeah. uh, like you know. I just felt like it was uh, maybe maybe a bit of his like maybe it was perhaps a darling of the editing process. You know that maybe. Well, I also think that uh, especially there having been just a war before this movie was made a lot of the people involved with this movie were probably close or involved in themselves and a big portion of military at that point is marching like you know it's just like such a staple of like a constant sound that like you continually hear as a you know military person so it's just kind of like i, I feel like almost ingrained in them that that should be like a big portion of what it sounds like to be there. Mm. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think, and along with the drums, it was it was this constant breaking up of the silence and the tension that was really nice, and it and it added to the tension, especially in those war scenes. I mean, even before, it, you know, and 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 I like I really think that that moment in the courtroom where they were marching back and forth, like mm. you know, answering the questions from the witness stand and going back, it was really like effective to show that they were still soldiers, and they were you were treating them you know, not like soldiers. They weren't giving them the respect that they deserved. Yeah. Well, even in like the big castle scenes, I thought the the sort of like the sound of the, the over-exaggerated sound of them walking really emphasized like how weirdly stringent and inefficient things were yeah. where there'd be like two people on opposite sides of a room and you'd like go talk to one dude and then just like have this big walk over to the other totally dude agree. and then have a little conversation. Yeah. I totally <laughs> agree. And I think that's a great point. Yeah. It, it, it led into the, the location and the sound too worked together to show you that extra symbolism and that layer of, oh my God, these generals really fucking out of touch and they're living in these stupid castles when they just need to be talking to each other right next to each other, which is so, it's so true. Um, I, I, in continuing with the reverb thing, I just want to say, um, okay, uh, you can, you don't have to, uh, I've already said this, I don't know why I'm going off on this again. I just think that it was distracting in a lot of moments and that I couldn't even hear some of the lines of dialogue or mm. it was very difficult to make out. And you can't do that. You just can't do that to your audience. It's distracting and frustrating to go to the next scene and think what was just said in the previous scene. I think that's just like, Ah, I don't know, because you, you're always thinking about the last scene and the last scene, the last scene. You're never really caught up in this in the moment, mm. and that really bothers me. So if only it was in French with subtitles, we would have been better off. Jesus fucking Christ! 
<laughs> oh, okay. And at the end, we got to talk about the end. So music obviously plays a huge role in the final scene. Um, let me bring up what that uh, song was. It's called The Faithful Husser, uh, which is a German is hustle? Fo- for a German folk song. Uh, and it's based on a soldier who is separated from his beloved only to return for, to realize that she's mortally ill. And I guess it's a German song, but you know, a lot Would of- Would all of these French dudes have exactly, known that? That's what okay. I'm going to get to. I don't I know. know. I, think that's a, <laughs> I think it's a great question. But the thing is, a lot of these dudes are living in, you know, the Alsace, Lorraine, these areas along the Rhineland. They're pretty much, they've been conquered and reconquered and conquered and reconquered by France and Germany, France and Germany and Switzerland, all these places. You know, so there's, they know German. They mm. know, they at least they probably know a little and they might know this folk song. So it might be yeah. something that like is passed along about this soldier and this, you know, this thing that really, you know, is universal and that we all have these, the war is awful for everyone, I think. Yeah. It's a simple Also, I, I mean, I kind of got that without knowing what the song is, just because I'm yeah. like reading into what they're crying about. I'm, I, I, I agree. And that's, that's what I, she's I crying about because she's not singing my country tis of thee, you know, and, and crying about that shit. It's got to be deeper than that. And for them too, to like share in some, that emotion has to be. Sure. I made those assumptions, but yeah. I don't think that the movie necessarily gave me that. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's fair enough. Yeah, it it is this. The, the movie's kind of a weird blend of some things almost too subtle, and then some things definitely not subtle enough, mm-hmm. like slamming you over the head with. Yeah, uh, and it kind of alternates a lot between those two things. There's more of the latter than there is the former of the subtle things. Yeah, so. even like. Even in Kubrick's movies not necessarily being cohesive, I feel like this is one of the least cohesive of his movies. Like mm-hmm. yeah. I feel like, you yeah. know, the 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 transitions that his later works take do so more purposefully or yeah. more yeah. successfully. This did feel like a very adolescent film mm-hmm. in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Adolescent for Kubrick is still good, which is so oh, interesting. Oh, it's so true. Okay, so to continue, one more thing about the song. <sighs> I, I, when you're sorry, it's, it, it's, it is. It's kind of interesting. Okay, so in France, the words were adapted by this guy Francis Lamarck into a song called Marjo Lorraine, whatever, and and um, blah blah blah. It was hit for various artists in 1957. So the year after this movie came out, it was a hit. That's kind of interesting. But the film was banned in France until 1975. Did not know that. Correct. That's fucking crazy. Yeah. Also, not only that, but uh, in Spain, it was banned during Franco until it was shown in 1986. Doesn't make the Whoa. French look good. No, no, Switzerland, it was considered since I it was censored at the request of the Swiss Army until 1970. Whoa! Uh, so nice. there was a lot of places this thing was controversial and not seen until considerably recently. Because I mean, hmm. you're, you're talking 86. That's you know, I guess that's not that recent. But no, I didn't see it till just now. Yeah, yeah, right. And it wasn't. It was just banned in Sean's house for like until now. <laughs> Basically, I lifted the embargo for one night. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, it is interesting. I mean, and also we forget about France and Charles de Gaulle, and that they actually did have kind of a you know the empire and their colonial interest up until pretty fucking late. You know, in the game, yeah, into you know, the 70s. You know, they had Algeria right. and Morocco and maybe Tunisia, and I forget if they had all that stuff still then. I might be wrong historically. Sorry. Anyways, <laughs> the point is that. Yes, those countries really did have fucked up governments for a long time. And, um, and they, of them still do. And they were really right-wing and ultra-patriotic. And I love that moment. Actually, just brings me to that moment with Kirk Douglas when he talked about patriotism. And he, ta- and he quoted that guy, Samuel Johnson, I think it was. Yes. And, so. um, and then the general asked him to tell him what it was again because he didn't quite hear him. And I always love that when 
well, I didn't quite hear me. He's like, or we said, what was it? But I love that when like, when a character is asking another character to repeat something or they force something out of them or like something you were going to let go. And, and then you, it's like, it's like they're with you, like as the audience, because Kirk Douglas was about to move on. He was like, never mind, never mind. Don't listen to this quote. I just was about to tell you. And then he forces it out of them. And it's a really great quote. He says, patriotism is like the last resort of the scoundrel or last something. refuge of a scoundrel. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. So, um, exactly that. I looked it up. It is, oh. it, is, it is Samuel Johnson. You're correct. Okay. Well, I was like 90% there. But anyways, the point is, is is interesting in that he, I don't know, he held it back and then he just completely threw it in his face. And I thought until that moment, you think he's going to play it completely cool. He's going to keep it under his, mo he's going to keep it under his breath and he's going to play along and he's going to do it. But then as soon as he kind of makes that decision and you can see it in his face, he's just he like- cages out. Yeah. He just like, you know what? what uh, fuck it. I'm going to tell you. Fuck it. I'm going to tell you what, what your scoundrel you yeah. are. <laughs> and yeah. it's pretty cool. It's, Do you think though, if he had taken that offer at the end and become a general that- he might have enacted more change. That's, I was thinking that. <laughs> because, I was like, dude, just become a general. What are you doing? Yeah. I'm like, you can, yeah. yeah. That's it's stupid what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. Don't be an idiot. This is like- You want to change the system. Yeah, <laughs> like that's my realistic politics coming in there. I, I Yeah, right. you got to just- I don't think that's a machine you can really change from the inside. Well, there you go. Maybe you're right. Maybe he's got to fight the power the outside. More of a Molotov approach. Or a, right. a guillotine. 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 It's a French film, Sean. <laughs> yeah. After a dude. Yeah. I just got dizzy. Ping pong. With American accent. Ping pong. So I guess, yeah, guillotine. <laughs> so what about the look of this thing? Let's talk about the camera. Yeah. Let's talk about the movements. Let's talk about everything. If we yeah. haven't talked about it yet. We talked about it some, but. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We've hit on some issues. Um, yeah. Obviously, it, uh, you have to start out with the. A uh, common concept that if Stanley Kubrick had not become a director, he would be have been the world's greatest cinematographer. Um, it is, uh, you know, I mean, the guy has a mastery of the camera. I could go on for forever about like his obsession with lenses and cameras and placement, you know, all of that stuff. Like he is kind of his own DP, but his DP is also there, like being a kick-ass DP next to him. Like it's a a you know, a crazy sort of situation from my understanding. But I mean, again, this is an adolescent version of all of that. So like we see inklings of a lot of things that are too common in his career, but I don't think he quite had the mastery of the entire sort of thing yet. You know, we do see these elements. Like one thing I wrote down and underlined a couple of times is blocking. Like the way that he stages things, the way that he decides where the actors are going to be in relation to the camera and how that affects the way that the scene plays out and the interaction of the characters. Like in, in the beginning when they're doing that dancing sort of scene or, mm -hmm. you know, walking around this plant and everything and like walking back and forth between the doors, like every time they turned, it was for a reason. And when they walk around the plant, it was like because of the way the characters' emotions were sort of evolving through that scene, that was motivating what the actors were actually doing. And right. you could like literally, you, you could see the interworkings of their brain sort of playing out in front of you in the choreography that's going on there. And, you know, that's something that Kubrick obviously, you know, really sort of mastered by the end of his career. Um, but I mean, there's, you know, visually, there's, very different looks and very different aspects of this movie. So you have that first war section, which is a lot more, you know, grittier and like 
moving cameras as far as like tracking with characters and like the you know uh that whole like trench sequence of dolly shots going backwards constantly with everyone and like being in those tight quarters and then we get into the the big sort of castle stuff and we have these like much more controlled sweeping sort of shots and like much more um there's still movement but it's all much more precise and much more sort of like planned and choreographed and staged and then there's the the final you know his wife singing sequence which is just like very almost like it seemed very plainly shot compared to everything else right like it was all just kind of like static shots of close-ups and like you know not really a whole lot orchestrated in there which i think is another reason that like that scene fell flat for me like it felt like it was like an obligatory scene more than it was any sort of it felt like it was from someone else's film. Exactly. Yeah. I I I feel like this is uh out of the ones that we've watched, this is the first one that I've really n- noticed a close up on an actor's face and mm. said this is a really long lens too. Yeah. Like there's several of these like really sharp but long lens uh close ups that he has in there that he'll cut to. And I mean just beautifully composed. Yeah. Like so beautifully composed. Um on there, that close-up real quick, one thing I do want to point out, yeah. the uh, thing I noticed a lot in this movie was the the closer the shot got, the more off-access from the eyeline we got. Mm. So, like, it was, in most movies, when you get closer to the character, you usually get closer to the eyeline because you want the audience to identify with that character. You want to feel like you're in that space and, like, you know, sharing a moment with that character. But this, they went like 90 degrees profile on the close-ups a lot of times. And I think it was, you know, just to kind of like emphasize that whole idea of like, no, the, there's a, there's a wall between us. There is, there is separation. These are these people and you are you, and you're just observing this interaction here, but you are not necessarily to be drawn into this character at all. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, and I, I mean, also not only that, but it could be also a kind of learning thing for mm-hmm. him too, because it's easier to stay on axis sure. if you're if you're doing close-ups in profile, mm-hmm. because you literally can just pop in and get those on axis. So, I mean, I think he was probably advanced. I enough. hesitate to attribute laziness to anything well, Kubrick does, but no, I just did I'm not with saying those it's ends laziness, scenes, so. but yeah. but but <laughs> it it does make it easier sure. directorially. Uh, and for things to like kind of cut to, and it's well, that's not, why you shoot it on 8K now. You yeah, just pop in and get them close-ups. Yeah. Oh God. Uh, <laughs> let's not talk about that. Uh, <laughs> I also don't like that too. Yeah, I, can, I can't get my get boom the, close. Well, yeah, True. and also, yeah, exactly that, and also, you know, frame the shot that you're gonna put in the yeah. movie. Like, what are we doing here? Choose what, your what choice. Don't yeah. let your editor don't, movie. Yeah, make you your let, movie. let the editor choose. Let the studio decide. Come on. Oh Jesus. Um. Anyway getting back to it but but i mean it makes it a little easier but i i think that there was so there's a whole lot of like really long oneers in this Mm -hmm. too and they he manages to blend them to where a lot of times you don't you aren't totally aware of them because Mm -hmm. they they do have that same kind of thing and i mean san show actually had the same thing where we have these things which are actually like three or four shots yeah but they blend but so they nicely. are blend, blended together with camera movement and 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 actually blocking just the blocking of it yeah. yeah uh and he's you know he uh, clearly he's getting that down i think that everybody like as soon as as soon as that first like trench shot comes in mm-hmm. where we're like dollying yeah 
that's the Kubrick shot. Yeah. That is the patent. That that's the classic Kubrick shot. Yeah, and as soon that. as you see that, like you're like, okay, this is a Stanley Kubrick film. Mm -hmm. The things before that don't have that same like mm -hmm. style that we're familiar with from him. Yeah. Uh, but there's definitely hints of it there. Absolutely hints of it throughout. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So pretty well shot movie. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, cl so. clearly. What'd you think, Tim? As far as, as far as the look. <laughs> he shows promise. <laughs> yeah. He's got a good career ahead Would of you him. hire yeah, him, He's a bright Tim? kid. Yeah. He's a bright kid, yeah. that Kubrick. Um, no, I, uh, one, of the, one of the things that I noticed uh, very early on, uh, I'm, you know, I'm not as learned with, uh, with all this camera hoo-ha uh, that y'all are, uh, but I, I, I... But you... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just get it in there? Yeah. It, it Film school it? paid off. I don't really know that much yeah, about you know, it. I spent $150,000 on this brain. <laughs> Well, it's what happened in the movie, so it, it fits well. Yeah, no, you know, I, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I honestly, I was listening to Derek and and what he what he had to say, and I agree with quite a bit of it. You okay, know? all right. Well, all let me say cool. something then about sound, so I can go back to one moment. I want to say Jesus. the we're, boom. We're back on sound. Just again. one thing, okay? <laughs> oh, one God. thing. I just want to fit it in, okay? okay yeah, go Parkour. Sorry. We don't go backwards. Boom. Sorry. I'm sorry, Tim. You can if you think about something to say, please cut Here me. Here comes What's the up? boom. Um. Anyways, I'm going to say that the boom operating was fantastic in this movie. Okay. <laughs> Except yes. for that one. Okay. Nobody. Oh, that one moment. Oh, right. I forgive moments. Very unprofessional. That moment. Oh, the plant got in my way. It was a very. It was a long <laughs> yeah. take, and the guy did a great job up until that, was that probably one moment. Until that take one of it moment. Okay, he said, "However," and it was slightly <laughs> off axis from the microphone. I pointed it out to you guys. You got to hide mics. You got to hide mics for that. That kind was of stuff. the point that I just got to hide mics to fall asleep. 1956. Man. That was Plant a great mics, job. Great job. <laughs> yep. Great job. Anyways, the boom operator. Good job. Okay, 1956. I give you all the credit in the world. You made one tiny mistake, <laughs> and even then, I don't think that was a mistake. Good job. I don't know. I'm gonna look up the boom operator. I gotta look his up his name. Do you think yeah. he was wearing pink shorts like the guy in Star Trek? I want I gotta find out that dude's name. It's Star, Star Wars. Wars, you asshole. <laughs> Jesus Wars. Christ, Sean. Do you want letters? <laughs> kind of. No one writes us. Um, okay, since since you brought back in the the sound thing, yeah. there is a overlay in it that I think is great, which is or I, I call it overlay. I don't know what you guys are gonna call it, but uh you experts in sound, you. Uh but there's basically You're the right. people are cheering when the girl starts the song. And the way that that is done, just from, I think, a directorial standpoint and everything, you, you are like wanting them to shut the hell up yeah, so yeah. you can actually hear what she's singing. And the way he does that is so well done that it draws you in. You know what I mean? I it totally draws agree. you into that totally agree. just totally agree with, that. with that sound, you know? Yeah, I'd say that that was successful. I don't think that that makes it a successful scene. Oh, for no, no, movie. no. Uh, I'm past that, Sean. I'm just saying just <laughs> this <me>. brief <laughs> moment here, all yeah, right? Totally. Just this brief moment. I will grant you that still, one success. <laughs> I still say it's a great scene. Okay, I don't know. I will know. die on that hill. <laughs> you, I, I will die on that anthill. alone on that anthill. True. Wow, if this okay. was a TBC, we would stop right there. I guess I doesn't really say... What? It says two people in the sound department. TBC's text before well, calling we'll both, another program both available from Fox. Okay, so Mar Martin <laughs> Martin Muller. Martin Muller is Martin the. Muller. It just lists his credit as sound. Sound. <laughs> not not sound mixer. Not sound okay, editor. So it's not it's sound. one dude with go. twenty loops in each finger. And he's just kind of like 
you know, marionetting his way through the fucking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And then all one more dude. And that's it. Uh, actually, this dude is uncredited. Wow. Uncredited? That, so there's really only one guy credited for sound. Okay. This sound is the uncredited no guy. His name is Al Gramaglia. Shit. I fucked up wow. his name. Al Gramaglia. Wow. Okay. Al Gramaglia was probably the boom operator. The guy, other guy's probably the mixer. No, this dude is the re-recording mixer and he's oh. uncredited. Wow. <laughs> the dude who's responsible for your final for mix final is wow. uncredited. That's Unbelievable. Yeah, whatever. Jeez. Poor Al Gramaglia. No yeah. Let's see what else he's done. But in the meantime, <laughs> what else are we doing? Let's uh, uh, do, do we have any errata, uh, Derek? Errata, uh, errata? I've covered kind of everything that I can think of about this movie. What about you guys? I think so. I, I let me let's as far as spare stuff. I yeah. feel bad Extras. having an opinion at all. Oh, really? Oh. <laughs> uh, one thing I did want, want to point out: it wasn't until about halfway through this movie that I realized that it, they were French soldiers. Um, I <laughs> that think... was great when you asked that. <laughs> <laughs> an hour and a half, whatever into the movie. Well, I I, I kind of realized that part of it might be due to the fact that yeah, it's in black and white, so it's really hard to tell which flags those are. Um, mm. But yeah, that not that I'm cultured enough to even make that sort of a... Uh, right. The, the three <laughs> lines. Could be the U.S. flag. Could be Mexico. Yeah. Or Italy or... Uh, uh, no, that's the other way, isn't it? Uh, Ireland, one of them. Could be something. something. Could be know. something else. I oh, I did want to... Uh, visually, the... Um, the uh, the execution scene as they're walking down. Um, first off, I really love the the idea of staying with the one character, even though all three of them were being executed. Like yeah. you still weren't quite sure if all three of them were walking down or if just the one guy was walking down. And then you know we turn and we see the three posts with the bunkers behind them, and to me that just felt very specifically. Uh, I, uh, biblically allegoric. Ah, uh, yeah. The, the yeah, and actually, uh, you reminded me about something I saw in this that I have never seen in the film before when I watched it, and that is the horse cart that's beside that with three coffins mm -hmm. on it. This was the first time I saw that. I was like, "Oh shit!" I was <laughs> like, "They put that there. That's that's pretty incredible." Uh, yeah, that's great. Also, that shot too. Um, I think it's the shooting them shot, right? Where we're actually, we see the bayonets in the corners of the frame, mm -hmm. like pointing towards. And is that, w would you guys say that's a POV shot? Because it doesn't feel like it is because we don't have a. Yeah, I would. Uh, it's kind of weird. Yeah, no, I would. I don't, I don't think that there is a classical classification for that. Right. Because I wouldn't necessarily call it a POV shot, mainly just because it's not attributed to any character right, yeah so it's like the the shot of like if it was looking anything, through from the pov of the of the uh, of the specific soldier but it's not but like then we're it looking down, down the one lines, barrel yeah. no 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 no, not of any specific soldier but of the uh the one who who had to call for it yeah but he's off to the side was he off to the side yeah, he was yeah. Off yeah. To the i don't side think that was his time. pov yeah i mean i i th i think of it as like these those like sort of shots where you're kind of like raking through the brushes and you like see okay. someone in the right. background you know um i think it was more of a uh fourth wall breaking or something gotcha. than it was yeah. a pov yeah. shot i think it was this looked cool awesome, yeah, yeah, awesomely yeah. composed i think that's a that's a, a it looks like a shot from like ivan's childhood mm -hmm. uh it kind of because there's a there's a shot in that where there's kind of like uh uh, well, we may end up seeing it, so I don't want to spoil it. So, <laughs> but it's like a shot in Ivan's childhood. Hmm. Um, the uh, the other thing that kind of struck me in that scene, um, just the 
they set it up earlier, but as we start to see the, uh, the prisoners come out to be shot, taking the guy out on the stretcher. Um, you know, the, the, they alluded to the fact that he was going to be like unconscious and just tied up to the pole, but actually seeing that I think was probably like the most like distastefully impactful portion of this movie. Yeah. Like, I don't even know why, like that, like, you know, if he's dying, he's going to die anyways. Like, I don't even know why that is even uh, something that I find even bothers him at all. Like intellectually, it's like yeah. whatever, but you know, just to actually like have that happen is just so i guess foreign or like soldiers kind of separated into interesting uh uh commentary Mm. you know interesting differing representations right yeah one is just like getting rid of someone troublesome yeah of the victims of war you know what i mean Hmm. okay um derek yes do you have any reviews for us to read several reviews uh uh uh, most of the ones that are so there are there are four one-star reviews. It's been hard to find one-star reviews for some of these previously, films we've watched. Previously, but, yes. This is, uh, but no longer. Uh, yeah, this is this is one of those. It's I, I, which I get. It's divisive because of probably how sad it's it divisive. is. Divisive. Divisive. Yeah, because it says <laughs> divisive that, that way. That is um, actually a thing, but yeah, <laughs> it's, a more, like, it's a divisive thing. <laughs> that, exactly. Uh, divisive. That was the joke. <laughs> so. Uh, this, this, this one that I'm going to read says, uh, it's by one potato two. Excellent name, by the way. Uh-huh. Shout out to uh, one potato two. One potato two. <laughs> In the house. Uh, if you're out there. Yeah. One spelled out two like the number. Cool. Uh, yeah. Morality for simpletons <laughs> is the title. Uh, <laughs> I like him, actually. Yeah, I already like it. Yeah, there's some stuff in it I agree with, too. Anyway, here we go. Uh, The black and white cinematography for Paths of Glory is very crisp, reflecting Kubrick's background as a magazine photographer. But I wish I'd never watched this. (laughs) Oh! I admire... Yeah, already, like... Scathing. uh, Yeah. I admire some other Kubrick movies, but this movie suggests that the simplicity one observes here is all subsequent Kubrick films... Might just be shallowness. Oh, and all. And in all. So he's saying it's all shallowness. Oh, yeah. Uh, as it is here. Ooh, sick the burn. script <laughs> is dross. What? Dross? Dross. dross. That's is, his that burn? Guardians and of the Galaxy? Hopefully, uh, <laughs> I mean, what that means. This, this dude, yeah. This, yeah no, this dude, this dude has... I guess it's uh, uh, worthless. This, this, uh-huh. Yeah, this has... Can we bring that up on the screen? Yeah. This, <laughs> this guy has a... Yeah, this guy has a thesaurus with him when he's writing this. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah. This this script is dross and hopelessly naff with its dumb <laughs> oh, sermon. Fuck you. Yeah. Okay, thesaurus, dude. Yeah, fuck, this dude. <laughs> yeah, fuck the, you. The whole thing is overdetermined. Uh, what, what possible idea in it could a viewer disagree with? I felt like I was being led by the nose because there isn't one syllable of ambiguity to be found in it, like a children's storybook. All you need is a morality detector with two settings, good person and bad person. George McCready, which is the, that's the general who's down in the, well, not in the trench, in the trench at one point, yeah. Uh, George McCready is the over the top the, yeah, the as a one-dimensional villain. Mm. Well, no shit. Yep. Yeah. One yeah. prisoner, one prisoner, Pierre, choose the scenery with when offered a last drink, overreacting as its finest and pure hambone comedy uh the extremely bad acting of the sobbing prisoner maurice made my mouth hang open 
The way his exit march is handled is utterly obtuse and unaffecting. <laughs> what? Wow. Less important but odd, the attitude of the production has nothing in common with 1915. Never do, never once does this feel like anything but 1957. Uh, I don't get that. Okay. Uh, the ending in which the an entire room full of soldiers all have an epiphany at the exact same moment is dramatic rubbish. Show me a room full of 50 men who all have the same emotional response to anything, and I'll show you a corny, dramatic lie. Everything in this movie, and I mean everything, is amateurish except the cinematography. I hate his pompous word yeah. usage. So one but... potato, two. <laughs> you make some, some great points. Yeah. Yeah. But you're, you're a fucking enough. dick about it. Exactly. <laughs> you're a fucking dick about it. <laughs> I like how Tim hates Wait, him. <laughs> what, what does naff mean? Naff means... Um, what, I yeah. don't know what it means. Dross means just... Because uh, I, I had to look it up. Just fucking one potato, two. You Wait, how do you spell naff? I don't know what naff means. Naff is K N. No, it's just N-A-F-F is the way he spells it, at least. Well, he Maybe fucked he's, it up. It, yeah. <laughs> it's oh, a my verb. Phone, my it, means, it means to so go away. I'll never know. It means to go away? To fuck means. off. It's like naff off. And hopelessly... Really? Maybe okay, that's wrong. that makes no sense. Yeah, the, uh, the script is dross. Is this guy British or something? That's, like, it's a British he thing. He wants to be British. I don't know. He wants to be British, I don't but he know. lives in his mom's basement in Southern Pennsylvania. Maybe not anymore. This was several years ago. You know what? Southern ago. Pennsylvania is nice. Fuck you. <laughs> I, I believe that Pennsylvania a is a beautiful basement state. It just yeah. creates trash humans. Actually, it's not true. Southern Pennsylvania is gross. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't go there. It's yes, really weird. Yes. Yes. Don't go there. So, York, fuck York. So, an excellent review yet again. Yeah. Uh, that was by wonderful. yet another IMDb user. Okay. Um, do, we, do we have any other reviews? Are we moving on? Uh, I mean, I, I could give you another one if we want another one. We want another one? Yeah, uh, I got no, no, you know what? No, what's the I, one? We, no, the one we, need, to, no, we need to move on. Don't one. Okay, let's do it. Let's All move right. on. We let's need to get to one. how we rate the movies, right. and we okay. get to our final conclusions. Yes, right. Yeah, right. let's do this. Let's okay, do so uh, Sean Fa, let's go mm -hmm. to you first. How would you rate this goddamn film? <laughs> um, uh, six and a half, I guess. Um, Out of ten, we're still doing. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, I mean, Kubrick does some good stuff. It's a decent movie. It's certainly watchable and it's engaging. Um, but Kubrick has so many better works that I would probably rather watch if I'm going to watch something again. Does it hold up? Um, no. So okay, that's I, I, <laughs> fair enough. I, I kind of just wanted that answer, and you gave it to me. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Derek. Um, I'm gonna get this. Uh. I really hate to do this, but Twelve. seven out of 12. Wow, um, that's yeah. lower than me. It dropped very low. Stock <laughs> is falling. Um, did we yeah. Did we convince you it's a bad movie? <laughs> no, it's not that. Uh, again, again, I you know, the, it has its moments. Mm. Uh, overall, like, it's really good cinematography. It's really, like, I think it's effective to, like, watch it like a one-time thing. I don't think that the layers are very deep there. Yeah. Um, and I think that, I think that while, uh, historically in film, I think it still holds up there as like a big step, uh, for like, like it obviously establishes a new voice as we know later happens in, you know, um, but yeah, it's just, just not on par with some of the other stuff we've seen. Mm. Okay. Mr. Tim Snow. I'm going to rate this film as the episode of the Brady Bunch where Peter's voice is changing. 
and they find a way to use it by making him <laughs> sing on the record in that particular uh, <laughs> that particular part. Uh, because there's glimmers of what's going to make Stanley Kubrick great in this, but he doesn't have the ability to articulate it just yet. Um, and that's the closest thing I got. And I also think that Derek's seven of 12, like, uh, is the seven just because he said you seven and a half, scene? by the way, seven yeah. and a half. Yeah. He said seven and a half. Did Man, I say I, seven and a half? I'm a we'll go seven listener. and a half anyway. I mean, see, he seven. didn't say seven and a half. We, yeah, seven and a half. We'll give it a half extra. Yeah. We'll give it a half extra for the mistake. So. Fair enough. You know, I gave it that half. Yeah. Yeah. Say. But either we'll way, bump it so, up you know, bit. it's the it's the episode of the Brave Bunch where Peter's <laughs> voice is changing. I love <laughs> your new scale. Yeah, I think it's yeah. a fantastic it's a scale. scale. Yeah. It's a good we scale. We should just use the episodes of Brady Bunch every <laughs> time. Brady Bunch episode. Or just old shows. Maybe the next episode to see where I go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe an I Love Lucy. Yeah. I have a permanent guest after all. <laughs> okay. Uh, so for me, I, I think this is a good movie i did i kind of lost its uh appeal to me i i saw it 10 years ago i thought it was really awesome and i see it now i'm like oh it's actually not that good <laughs> uh, i'm gonna give it a seven out of ten it's still enjoyable um and it's still got some great fucking scenes and some great moments and that and that really will last with you so that's what i'm looking for sometimes in a movie is just mo is the moments that will last with me and that i'll remember and there was a lot of them in this even just a simple tracking shot of that just like going through the trench is pretty fucking crazy to give you that experience is just cool um and then the, obviously the courtroom scene is really cool but um I don't know. I, I enjoyed it. I do think it's a little bit boring at parts. It's boring in the beginning. It's expository. I don't like how it even started with that big scene. I mean, it had great blocking and it was beautiful, but that's really not what you want to do in the beginning of a movie. It's like a boring dialogue scene for an action film or, or even like a courtroom film. It doesn't quite have drama to it as much as I thought it would. I felt compelled to pay way closer attention to the dialogue than at actually i needed to yeah so like, i agree that i too. feel like they were like suckering me into like really you know hanging on every word and then like none of it really mattered uh and i don't think this holds up i, no. I agree with you sean fa i don't think this holds up i don't think i could show this to a younger audience i think they'd fall asleep like tim parts yeah. maybe but yeah. Yeah. yeah and that's surprising too because it's only like an hour and a half yeah you know, not a long movie yeah. this podcast is longer minutes. this podcast is longer well, wow. that's good. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe people will not fall asleep during the middle of this. I still have to talk about one little tiny thing. Please, Derek. Uh, so I, I, I want to talk about one that we reviewed before, Casablanca. I want to revisit mm. some thoughts I had about it. Uh -oh. um, since yeah. it's been a few You've weeks. heard of it, guys. Casablanca. Casablanca. He was yeah. ruminating upon it. I was ruminating upon <laughs> it. So I, I, and here is the thing that I think is that I think that it's held, it should be held in high regard because it was a movie that Hollywood made in the heat of the moment about this thing, right? So it is kind of up to the minute, and it is a kind of could be very controversial. And they did this, and they did this with like a lot of like real people going through the thing, like a mm. bunch of not like yeah. actors who were from sure. those. It is something that I can't imagine Hollywood really having the balls to do today. Yeah. Well, and that is why I think that we can look back on it and we say, wow, this, is a, this was a huge thing for them. Something that they would do and then practically never repeat again as far as that goes. Can you, you think know? of another movie that came out in the middle of a war like that? I not I can't not think of one. Not, not like all. that. All the president's men, but it's, not you know, that's not a war. And even then, really? that was quite. A, I was a little bit after. It was a couple of years after. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. 
Yeah. This was 43? This was right. This was uh, 42. Am I right? This 42. Wasn't it? This was 42 I gotta look it up again. that it came out. Okay. It came out right, like, uh, what, less than a year after Pearl Harbor. Mm. So, 42. Wow. This is while the war is going on, they came, come out with this thing. Yeah. So, yeah. I think January that, 43. Jesus. I think that that is pretty incredible. You know, it was well, like a I, couple I, months. Oh, no, it was, it was not. It was, yeah, it was a year. It had 41 was Pearl Harbor. Well, obviously, they were on the right side of history, so that yeah. that helps with right. the looking back. And I think that is a, especially now. I mean, to take a strong political stance uh, in a movie is, um, you know, either going to be preachy or propagandistic, or yeah. it's going to, you know, kind of. It, you know, it's like showing a cell phone. It's like it locks you into a very specific thing that may not turn out to be the same thing that we thought a few years later. Right. But more to Joey's point, I would argue that like the entire Reagan administration was basically the same thing if we continue, if we consider the Cold War to be an active war because we had a sure. ton of anti-Russian propaganda sure. going on. Say strange love. Well, yeah, the strange. I mean, that was you know even before that, but that wasn't even. Well, I'm uh, strange love is just, way, it was height of Cold War, is what I'm saying. Right, right. But strange love is uh, certainly the right side of history. But strange love is even more like uh, anti-American or self um, self analytical than it is like you know the Russian propaganda days of like clear heroes and clear okay. villains. That's what you're thing. saying. As you're saying, yeah. Although I think Casablanca was slightly nuanced. I don't think oh, it, yeah. it yeah, was. It's, it's it, nuanced. It, it, it isn't it's... bad guys and good guys. It, you know, it does have slight. You know, I think that's kind of interesting in in general. But that time period in Vichy France, it's you know, you you had the collaborators and the people who would you know right. the partisans and the resistance. So it's, it was interesting. I, anyways, you're right. You're it's an interesting film, and I can't think of like. Uh, you know, an Iraq war film going on in 2004 or 2003, you know, that would have been nuts to think about. I don't, I don't know. I mean, like they had, you know, what is it? Zero, zero dark 30 and when stuff like way, that. Way when after, did W come out? It? Well, I think. And that's different. But no, see, that he was, was the, to me, that's the same thing though. Well, not was he that's more of this. Yeah. It's the, him. the idea that we had, um, you know, a, a war and then we're kind of in that same war again, but we're making movies about the previous version of that war. But it's, you know, kind of that same sort maybe, of thing. Maybe you're right. Zero Dark Thirty is also a great movie. I like, yeah. that, I like that movie a lot. Except I, for the crying at the end. on that one, too, huh? There's some boring moments in Zero Dark Thirty, too. Shit. Maybe you just fall asleep a lot. What's weird is That's you say actually love. Very true. You, but I'm not Tim, the point you, of this. You, podcast. you make a point of saying, Tim, that you love slow movies, which is so interesting. Well, yeah, because he's I, just so anti war. I was on the edge of my <laughs> fucking seat for Sancho the Bailiff, another episode of him. <laughs> <laughs> Tune in to that one. Well, you know, I'm the plug guy. Always be um, plugging. Either way, uh, yeah, no, I was absolutely on the edge of my seat for that. Uh, my, you know, uh, a lot of my very favorite films are incredibly slow burns, but they have kind of a philosophical base to it that keeps me thinking. This movie did not keep me thinking. Yeah, I think you're right. You it's, not, it's just not and deep movies, enough. Yeah, it, you know, it's clear, like, eh, I'm not going to do that. It was no was, questions, just judgments presented to you, essentially. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and you know, it... it there wasn't a whole lot to keep my my brain ticking about, you know, and I think that's what kind of put me to sleep there, especially mm -hmm. with uh, with the war scenes and so on. Yeah, I don't think there was enough of the other side. Yeah, it and was what all, I got it, brought back in was at the court martial scene where you know there was something to think about, and there was yeah. you know, yeah, 
Yeah. Uh, it wasn't like, you know, maybe there's a little nuance to this. Maybe that the good guys aren't quite as good or the bad guys have slightly a point or something, and you know, a nugget mm. of a point or something. It wasn't any of that. It was just, why the fuck are you killing these guys? This is obviously corrupt and bad. Yeah, yeah. You're bad. We're and, bad. You're good. Da, yeah, da, 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 da. you're right. Yeah. And, and for a Kubrick movie, you're expecting a little more, you're expecting, mm -hmm. especially, you know, Kirk Douglas has got a little more hype to it. Yeah, I mean, all of the justifications were basically played as straight-up lip service. Mm -hmm. Like, they had them all delivered by the buffoonish character yeah. who, like, even admits that he doesn't really even believe what he's saying. This is just what kind of his position compels yeah. him to oh, say. Okay, mm -hmm. okay, well, there I, wasn't, yeah. there actually, weren't a whole lot of textures to study. I'm going to contradict myself. I know I do that all the time, but mm. I'm going to actually do it here because I really actually wanted to make a point. And I noticed this at the end of the film because I was thinking about Snidely Whiplash, whatever the fuck his name is, you know, General Snidely, uh, twirling mustache guy. <laughs> uh, he actually, because if you think about the beginning scene, he doesn't want to take this assignment. He says it's impossible to take Ann Hill at first, or he alludes to it. And then he's kind of forced into it by the other general. So it's really weird is that we are meant to think that Snidely Whiplash dude is the bad guy. But even him, he is kind of a pawn in the game. He is a, downhill. Yeah, he's a middleman. And I think that what's weird is that that is misplaced anger for the audience. And and maybe that goes to why I don't like the guy being more comedic. I think he's more the villain. And I, that bugs me that he kind of skates. And maybe that's the point. And maybe you're right. Maybe it's the banality of evil. And that's what I should read into it, Tim. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, and that he's kind of jokey about it. Yeah. But it, it, it just, make a just bugs the shit out of me that 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 he is not seen as the main villain. Those but the kind other of guy people is. are never going to be held accountable. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they never have and they never will. Yeah. Um, one thing that you kind of reminded me of when you just said that now about the fact that it's very much about middle management. Um, so I, I read that apparently um, David Simon, when he was, uh, before he created The Wire, the TV <laughs> series, uh, he said that Passive Glory was an influence on that uh, because of the film's uh, depictions of the tribulations of middle management. Interesting. In the form of Dax's unsuccessful attempt to protect his troops against the inhumane, inhumane ambitions of his superiors, uh, kind of, kind of influenced some of the minimal management kind of uh, things in the wire. It has a West Wing feel a little to it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. like Dax right. is this noble guy fighting the the good fight. You know, uh, I, I can see why I kind of like it now because I love the wire too, and I love. Yeah, and it makes sense. It, it it is very noble and you know overly noble, and, and I, that's I that's something think, I. I still think into. there's another version too you can make of this film where Dax ends up taking that general job and ends up just being one of the other like. Oh, when he turns. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's because good I mean, like but, absolute power corrupts kind of thing, right? Or, or at least to the effect of that, that, uh, yeah, that that ba because I think that's even that even would be more anti-war because you're putting these people in power and then it's also like making the like it's affecting them to do these things yeah. instead of like we always will be able to say now, oh, but Dax, he's a good guy and he's out there, so we got we got this guy that we can root for, you know? Yeah, there are no good take guys. away take away our you know. Where our heart I like that. You know? It's a very dark message, but it's awesome. Yeah. I wish yeah. you're right. That's more consistent with the rest of Kubrick's work, certainly. Yeah. yeah. Maybe that. Maybe there was more studio influence in this. I, it definitely Could felt be. like it. I mean, it definitely is before. Is it before Spartacus? I might forget. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this is definitely studio E. You yeah. know, it's got lots of uh, input. I think. It's and it right felt, before Spartacus, actually. And I it felt like the narration was plugged in. Like that. That definitely felt like a studio thing or something. I can't imagine Kubrick wanting narration like that. Maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but it felt like 
the studio's like, hey, we don't understand. We need a little bit of background of World War One. Give us fucking five minutes of narration. Because no one knows anything about World War One. But it was 56. <laughs> Maybe they did. <laughs> was, Maybe they did. That was their parents. Like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Uh, should we end this bitch? Sure. Let's end it. Derek, do you think it was better than Too Fast, Too Furious? <laughs> uh, maybe. Oh. oh. <laughs> you can cut oh. it later. I know why things don't work. Nothing's working. There you go. Woo! I don't know. I'm really thinking about Too Fast and Furious. I'm thinking about like Super Mario 64. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you just got a red shell. Jumping through paintings, you know? Yeah. Sliding down that red staircase. Oh, I was thinking of Mario Kart. My God. Mario Kart? Mario. Who the fuck are you? East Coast. I'm from Philadelphia. I've heard people say Mario. Pennsylvania. Before. Yeah. Sorry. That is an East Coast It is thing. gross. I've I, heard I New Yorkers say Mario. It's a horrible place. I know. Yeah. Mario. Yeah. In the Mario uh, movie, they say that. Yeah. They Mario. say Mario? Do they say yeah they do? I think so, yeah. Yeah, because his oh, name's his name's man. Mario Mario and yeah. it's Luigi Mario. Oh. <laughs> well, on that note, be sure to check out all of the fun shows on the Fawcast Network, uh, most of which are no longer going, but text before calling kind of comes around. Um yeah. Nothing better than defunct entertainment. Exactly. Yeah. There's a there's an archive <laughs> of years worth of political bickering and whatnot. So uh yeah, join us, won't you? Yay. Bye.